From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. Do you remember finding out you were pregnant? I do remember, absolutely, almost to the second detail by detail. What went through your mind? Um, I can't say it on the radio, <laughs> but it was... Uh, Expletives went it, through your yes, mind. Yes, absolutely. It was um, very much like, oh my God, what do I do now? It's one of the hardest conversations to have. I didn't want to spread it around. I didn't want to talk about it. To me, it was just something that I wanted to go through privately, which uh, in the end did not turn out to be the best idea. The conversation about abortion. It's something we just haven't figured out how to talk about. And it's not just hard to confide personal struggles to friends and family, it's also hard to discuss the bigger issues without the whole thing degenerating into a predictable fight, where nobody hears anybody else. Because politically, most of us land squarely on one side or the other, and nobody's budging. In the Midwest, especially, it's been contentious. I think that the problems surrounding abortion, um, politicizing it and uh, everything, are the things that create this incredibly strong division between the two camps. Um, and unfortunately, we are letting the people who actually get abortions kind of fall to the wayside and their personal stories fall to the wayside and their circumstances. But what if we tried to just talk as people? without bumper stickers or megaphones. Is that even possible? On this episode, we're going to give it a shot. We'll hear two women's stories, and they stand on opposite sides of the issue politically, but they've both had abortions. This was 13 years ago. I've had one abortion. Um, I was married, newly married. Um, According to the timeline, I pretty much conceived right after we got married. That's Monique Salazar. And... There, it was an abusive relationship, and I was coming from an abusive home, and there was no way that I was going to raise a child in an abusive home, especially not at the level of trauma, psychological trauma that I had at the time. Was that because of, because strictly of the abusive nature of the relationship you were in, or was there more to it? it there was that. There was um, my own psychological trauma that I was dealing with. I have PTSD from childhood trauma, um, which was undiagnosed at the time and really just resulted in me acting um, very impulsively. I had always wanted a child. I always wanted to have a family because when you know I grew up not feeling like I was unconditionally loved, so I wanted to create a family for myself, which is you know essentially why I got married in the first place. But Then everything started to steamroll, and I was like, this is not a good situation for anyone that's in this situation, much less bringing someone else who's innocent into that situation. And I think that it was such an emotional time for me because I didn't have any support, and I didn't have anybody to tell, and I didn't have anybody to be like, you're an okay person still. I come from a really religious background, so... Abortion in my family wasn't even talked about. When my cousin became pregnant as a teenager, that wasn't even an option. It was just that she now had the shame of being an unwed mother. So what was I if I had an abortion? You know, if they already had shamed that person so much. And then, you know, so I had no one to tell because that to them was like pretty much the ultimate sin. With no one to turn to, Monique was at a loss. I didn't know who to talk to. I had seen ads for uh, crisis centers, but I knew that that was absolutely not a place that I would be 
shown the truth in an authentic way or talked to in an authentic way. It would just be trying to push me into carrying the baby to full term. So she turned to the phone book. That's where she found the number for Planned Parenthood. There wasn't a whole lot of information available for me on the Internet. Um, It was sort of, and not in any way to decry Planned Parenthood, but I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of information over the phone. It's more like, you know, show up and make sure you're not wearing any jewelry or makeup, et cetera. You know, prep for surgery, have somebody to drive you home. She scheduled her abortion over the phone. Her husband was supposed to drive her, but... He was in the military, and he had told me that he would drive me and take me home. And the night before, he informed me that he had to be at the base for a mandatory barbecue. And I was devastated because I didn't know who to tell or who to ask, like, hey, can you drive me to my abortion tomorrow? So I made the, addi- the, um, the choice to just take myself. Sue Bohr's experience was a little different. I was a little out of control, I guess you could say, in a way. But like Monique, she remembers feeling isolated with an unplanned pregnancy. Make that unplanned pregnancies. My abortions took place 33 years ago um, and 32 years ago, respectively. Um, I've been married to the same husband now for 29 years. But in my first marriage, I had an extramarital affair, and it resulted in a pregnancy. And um, I was caught in my immorality. I was caught. Um, it was devastating um, because I wasn't. I, I really felt I knew that it wasn't my husband's. Um, I mean, I probably couldn't be a hundred percent sure, but I was pretty confident that it wasn't. But what he didn't know was that I'd had the affair, and he agreed to the abortion. Um, he so had, he knew you. He knew you were pregnant. Yes, but what I didn't know was he that there was some other abortions in his life, and so um, justified it money-wise, just all kinds of different ways. We just justified it, and so um, that's what we chose to do, and. It was really, really hard, and I continued in my um, ways at the time. And my second abortion um, was really, really devastating. And I had met a gal outside that had she was having her fifth, and I just thought, and it was birth control for her. And I just sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I will never, ever, ever find myself in this position again. And when I had the abortion, I lost it in the clinic. I wailed, and the clinic staff all freaked out to get me quiet, and I shut down so that they'd leave me alone. And um, it was just, it was really, really hard. Um, Did you get any guidance? I mean, did you get medical, spiritual, emotional guidance along the way? Not really. Um, no, not at the time, no. I wasn't in a place. And Planned Parenthood, they just told me it was something that I could um, 
basically they told me they would fix my problem and I'd never have to think about it again. And what they didn't tell me was I'd never forget. Monique hasn't forgotten her abortion experience either, driving alone to and from the clinic. And so I, you know, drove to the abortion clinic. We had the procedure done. And um, it took, like I said, about eight hours. We went in and talked to a counselor. We went and met with the doctor beforehand. And um, since I was driving myself home, the only anesthetic that I got was two Tylenol and a Valium. Oh. So it was... um, I have a very high tolerance for painkillers. It takes a lot. Like whenever I go to the dentist, they always have to stab me multiple times in the mouth, <laughs> um, which is why I hate the dentist. But uh, it, so the, the procedure itself was rather painful. Um, but the male nurse that I was with, um, you know, he told me, he was like, you can totally squeeze my hand if you need to. And he just let me hold his hand. And he was really the first person that had been that upfront and supportive and and just personal with me and I'll never forget that man to this day that he just comforted me in that that moment um and then I had to drive myself home and they recommended that I stop at Wendy's to get something to eat just to get something in my stomach and so I got a chicken sandwich and I ate a bite and it made me really nauseous so I put it in the seat behind next to me And then I was driving home on I-35, you know, going about 70, and I had to vomit. And there was no way that I could get off the highway. So I learned that I can drive a vehicle and vomit going 70 miles an hour. Um, So I puked into the uh, Wendy's bag that I had, which was not strong enough to hold anything. So when I got home, I was bleeding, I was in pain, I was covered in vomit, and I was incredibly by myself. Would you make the same decision today? Or would you, looking back at this younger woman, advise her to make the same decision today? Absolutely. 100% would tell her that she is doing the absolute correct thing and to not feel that much, you know, isolation about it and to reach out to other people. Sue feels differently. She regrets her decision. She's regretted it for a long time. After divorcing her first husband, she met someone new. He was a, a Bible, he came out of a Bible school. And so I had done, you know, like, thou shalt not. And I, so I said to him, you don't understand, you know, like, what a mess I am. And when I told him, he said, there's forgiveness. You can, you know, there's forgiveness for all sin. And that's how I looked at it. And so. Is that how you look at it now, that this is a sin? That you it's a very moral issue. Yes, it is. I had a conscience that it bothered me, that I'd always loved kids. I'd always done a lot of babysitting, and um, I just, I, I really, I think, consciously, I knew that the choice was wrong for me, and so it was really, really hard. I think that it hadn't been restricted or illegal. I probably wouldn't have made that choice. Um, but it was what society said was an option. That's something that I could choose. And, um, and you wish it hadn't been an option. 
Well, I know my my decision would have been a lot harder. I don't think I would have sought out an illegal one. What do you think you would have done? I probably would have opted to, I mean, I honestly thought about having the baby and and hoping that it looked enough like me that no one would know or going away and having the baby and putting it up for adoption. Um, one of my favorite shows on TLC is Long Lost Family, and um, it's the reunion um, show of adoptions. And I get my little box of Kleenex and I wash it, watch it. And I always, you know, I, it would, I mean, I have a lot of regret. Um, it would be so awesome that if those two children would have been able to look for me 30 years later. Today, Monique is someone who supports abortion rights. Sue opposes them, taking the thousand-foot view of those political views are Mary Kay Culp, director of Kansans for Life, and Laura McQuaid, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of the Great Plains. I asked if they heard anything like common ground in Monique and Sue's stories. This is Laura. I think what's so wonderful about sitting with Sue and Monique is that it is a reminder that this is a deeply personal and individual issue that has been politicized Over the recent decades, Sue and Monique have so much common ground in that they are describing their own personal set of circumstances and their own thought process that led them to make that decision. And and I respect both of their opinions um, because both of them have the capacity to make those decisions, but also um, to experience all that came after that decision in their lives. And unfortunately, when we have this conversation in the political arena rather than the individual and healthcare arena, it becomes very disconnected from personal experiences. How? Wa- because you're able to step away from individual women like Sue and Monique and look at their circumstances as individuals. We cannot walk in anyone else's shoes. And the right decision for one may not be the right decision for the other and vice versa. And in the political landscape, um, our opposition sets one set of standards by which everyone needs to live. And that is not something that we can accept in the political arena, particularly after hearing two deeply personal and important stories here on the show today, Gina. Mary Kay, what have you been thinking as you hear all of this? I mean, do you come away from it with the same takeaway as Laura? Uh, No. (laughs) I think the saddest thing is when Monique talked about she didn't feel like Speaking to a crisis pregnancy agency had uh, was an authentic conversation. If you only consider the authentic conversation to take place inside a for-profit abortion clinic, you're you're really missing the boat. And what I what I'm sad about is that society has gotten to the point, but it's been like this from the beginning. We've always been stereotyped and blacklisted if you're pro-life, and and we know we're a bunch of old ladies in tennis shoes that want to hit you over the head with our Bible. In fact, the crisis pregnancy centers are manned by women who've had abortions, who've given up babies for adoption. And Can and I ask you something? I mean, do you think that, that those centers should be obligated to give medically accurate information? Do you think that that should be sure, part of the law of around course. it? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I depend on what they think is medically appropriate. It would really need to be medically 
uh, what are you saying here? Are there well, no, I'm just asking them? if, if I mean, because I think that th- that that's part of the question that a, a lot of people have is is whether the information they're getting is separate from a political position or an end decision. You know what I mean? Like whether the medical information is objective. By medical information, if you mean um, different kinds of abortions without having actual alternatives to the abortion, then no. But if there is, um, I don't think a crisis pregnancy center has to sit there and hand out information about where people can go get abortions. They're trying to let people know to, you know, to listen to the whole tape here, to the end of your life. Let's think about this. If you work in an abortion clinic, you have to believe that's the right thing to do. You're not really an unbiased observer here. You sold one yesterday. You're going to sell one tomorrow. Hmm. If you demean abortion in a day in between, you're really sort of indicting yourself. And so I don't think it's even possible to get unbiased information there. Let me, let me get some response to that. If, I, I want to get some you, response to that from Laura okay. McQuaid. Um, Clearly, I believe that that's fundamentally incorrect. I, I getting, don't think we're, yeah, we're probably not going to get to agreement on that, which right. makes me think that I'm maybe answering my own question no, about I don't middle think ground. So. I, think, I think, Gina, there, there is, um, I think there can be middle ground. I think there is middle ground. Um, again, we haven't had the country, we will never, ever stop fighting for access to safe and legal abortion. We believe that it is critical. Before Roe v. Wade, 1.2 million American women were seeking safe, unsafe, illegal abortions, and over 5,000 of them were dying annually. We will never stop fighting for that. But I think that no. there's so much co- common can ground I, that can we I can have around contraception. Mary Kay, just we're uh-huh. about to be done with the show, and I want to know from you, okay. you know, Laura's suggesting contraception is possible middle ground. Would it be for you? As far as what I do for a living, no. And um, it's we really are here to try to keep women from going into a Planned Parenthood and knowing that and thinking that's their only choice. The conversation kind of fell apart from there. Monique and Sue couldn't find a political common ground either, as in something they would agree on policy-wise. But they could listen to each other's stories and find common ground on the human scale. Sue regrets her abortion, and she opposes abortion rights, but she has compassion for herself and other women. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely have um, compassion and understanding for a crisis pregnancy situation, but I honestly do think that abortion is not the best choice. Do you relate to anything Monique had to say when she shared her abortion experience with us? Absolutely. It reminds me of several of my girlfriends. Tell me more about what you relate to in it. The crisis, the the unplanned pregnancy, um, not feeling that you have any other choices. This episode of Midwesternish was produced by Matt Hodap and Matthew Long Middleton. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor. You can subscribe to this podcast on NPR One or wherever you generally do that kind of thing. And I also host a talk show on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR 89.3. It's called Central Standard. Head to kcur.org if you want to check it out. I'm Gina Kaufman. Kaufman.